0: Well, good morning from my side. My name is Pierre, and it's my absolute joy this morning to open up the Word of God with you while the kids are enjoying a message from uh, Melindy. And we are really expectant for God to continue speaking to us this morning through the letter of Colossians. Can you believe it that we are halfway through our journey? Last week we was the halfway mark, and we get to continue into the second half of, of this letter. And it's, it's quite amazing how suddenly there's a change in the letter and Paul starts becoming real practical some of the things that he addresses and I believe today is going to be such a moment where there'll be practical things for us to do as a community. Now I want us to start being practical from the get-go. So here are three responses I want to teach you. I know that we are a quiet church but if everyone can say amen once together loudly, that'd be awesome. I'm going to count to three and we all say amen together loudly. One, two, three, amen. All right, I hope it sounded great in your houses like it did here. Now, for the Afrikaans people, we're gonna, we're gonna do an Afrikaans one as well. Okay. So, uh, the Afrikaans have word is Netsua. <laughs> Can we do that? All right. One, two, three, Netsue. Great. And then, the is it close people in our community? I've got one for you as well. We're just gonna say Shap Shap. Okay. <laughs> Kushap, which means cool, great. So, one, two, three, Shap Shap. So please respond to the word this morning as we open it up together, as we engage it together, and as God speaks to our hearts, and and you are in agreement, say amen, netzua or shop, or whatever word you want to shout, shout it out, because the word is alive and active, and it works in our midst as we go through it together. Now for this morning, I want us to start different than how we usually start. We're going to start with a moment of consecration right at the beginning where we are going to position ourselves in the way that we are going to listen to the word. Now, what I want to do is I want to pull up Psalm 133, verse 23 to 24, as a prayer of consecration for all of us to pray this morning and set us up for God to speak to us individually. This is a stunning psalm, and it speaks about God searching our lives and and knowing all of our lives. And he says this, search me, O God, And see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's amazing that he speaks about me and God and me and grievous ways and me and everlasting way. He's not speaking about you or them or they. And this is a very introspective moment where the psalmist says, Lord, look at my life and point out in me if there's anything that grieves you. And this is really the call As we start this morning to devote ourselves in such a way to say, Lord, we open up our hearts to you this morning. For you to come and search and by the convicting work of your Holy Spirit to show us if there's anything in us that grieves you. So if you want to take a moment, let's pray that together. Let's pray according to scripture and let's allow God to minister. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to pray the prayer and you can simply just repeat after me. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus. I pray today that you would search my heart. That you would let me see what is inside of my heart or in my thoughts or in my understanding. And Lord Jesus, I ask, if there is anything that grieves you, that you would point it out to me by your beautiful grace and give me the opportunity to find the way everlasting. I ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to hold that thought throughout the message this morning, and we're going to go through the entire chapter 2 of the letter to Colossians. I'm going to read the chapter for us, and then we're going to get into the message of today. Towards the end of last last week, Uh, Matthew did read a few of the verses, but it's important for us to get context. So let's read together. It'll be up on the screen Colossians chapter 2, and I'm reading from the ESV translation. It says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith having forgiven all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This morning I'm going to title my message, False Reality. And here we see Paul speaking very directly, and with any doubt on how directly in the terms he uses, he speaks about some false things that has made its way into the church community. I said at the beginning of our series that, There was this threat against the church and and part of the threat was false teachings and wrong doctrine. And Paul made it clear to speak into it and very directly. Up until now, he's done a beautiful, beautiful work to present Jesus and the gospel to us in the most amazing way. Just reading again that poem in, in Colossians 1 verse 15 to 20 where he describes Jesus. He really put and painted a picture in front of us. Of how beautiful Jesus is. And then last week we heard of how that glory is inside of us. But now he says, guys, before we continue talking about this Christian life, there's some things that I want to address. And I'm going to speak about false realities that exist outside of Jesus and in the world that you are in. He starts off by saying, I'm struggling on behalf of you. The word struggle there could be rather translated as I am in agony. I am in agony when I think about you and Laodicea and the other saints who I haven't met. And he reminds us here again that he hasn't met the Colossians. He hasn't met the people at Laodicea and some other saints. He says, I'm in agony when I think about you and I'm struggling on behalf of you because there are these false things that has come into church and I am about to speak about it. So then he speaks about the false things, things <clears throat> Excuse me, and he mentions that they are there. And then he preaches the gospel again, just to make sure that they understand the gospel again. And then he goes and he speaks about these false things in very direct terms. And what Paul is dealing with here is a pastoral reality. As pastors and as leaders, sometimes you are in that agony. Sometimes you are in a place of suffering for the sake of the people when you see people being lured away by other teachings, other than the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. I can so identify with those words. I am in agony for the times that I have seen you follow things that is not Christ Jesus. It's part of what we as leaders ought to do. When we study Paul's letters, we see it throughout all of his letters. He addresses false teachers. He says, guys, there's this, there's that belief. People do these things, have nothing to do with it. And today we're going to look at a few of his other letters as well. I want to go for a moment to Acts chapter 20, where he speaks to leaders and the responsibility that pastors and leaders have in this. He says this, speaking to the elders in Ephesus, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He reminds the leaders that the church they are leading was obtained by the precious blood of Jesus. So therefore make sure that you pay careful attention in how you lead them. And then he says that I know after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert Again, he speaks quite frankly and directly. He says, elders of Ephesus, even among yourselves, there will be those who come up with twisted things. And they're going to be successful at drawing the disciples away from the truth. So pay careful attention. You see, the people in Colossae was surrounded by the idea of other mysteries, It was this this cosmopolitan city and a confluence of culture and religion coming together and syncretism has crept into the church. Syncretism is when two religions are merged together. And Paul says, it cannot be like that. You have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. You belong to him, so make absolutely sure that you don't believe any false thing. He sets up this section so beautifully. He says, you know what, I know that the people in Colossae speak a lot about mystery. But let me tell you a mystery. You know what is a mystery? The greatest mystery of all is Christ is in you. Now that is a mystery to consider. And then he says in Colossians 2 that God's mystery is Christ. And then he explains by saying, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Friends, that means this morning Christ is sufficient. We don't need any more subject matter to study. We don't need anything beyond that locked up in Christ Jesus us all the treasure and wisdom and knowledge that God could possibly give us. And then he says to them, So this Christ you received and the gospel you received and the manner in which you received it. Verse 6, he says, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. He's saying to them and he's saying to us, make sure that you keep walking in Christ Jesus of the gospel. Make sure that you keep walking in the wisdom and the knowledge of Christ Jesus. That's where we are rooted. That's where we are established in faith. It is not by some other mysteries and philosophies and laws from the outside. The way that was presented to you, walk in that And it brings me to this thought, and I've heard this multiple times, that Christians never graduate from Jesus and the gospel. I'm going to say that again. Christians never graduate from Jesus and the gospel. See, Jesus and the gospel is the central essence of our belief, of our faith, of our walk. And Paul says, church in Colossae, make sure that you make absolutely sure that that remains in the center, all these other things are deceitful and twisted and might just pull you away. Because in Jesus is locked up all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, the gospel and the message of Jesus is to the Christian soul as pure water is to the body. We need two liters of water a day, they estimate. Yeah, now we can drink some other things, but imagine you really just lift off a diet of Coke and some other fizzy drinks, what your body would become. But he says, and we are reminded again today that we've got to drink the pure gospel words of Jesus Christ. I'm just having my team help me here. Make sure that you guys see what stands there. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. We've got to make sure that we drink the purity Of the gospel. I can drink Coke for as long as I want to, but it's going to end in me ending up quite sick. I've got to substitute it with pure water. If you want to have a healthy body, you've got to drink pure water. In the same way, if we want to be healthy in our walk with Christ Jesus, we've got to make sure that the purity of Jesus and the gospel is the thing that we drink on every single day. Now, imagine for a moment that God has given us this gift. And he says, I've given you Christ and locked up in him is the fullness of everything you need. Imagine what it must feel like or sound like to the father who say, thank you. Thank you for this gift. But I'm sure there's more things. I'm sure there's a few other things. Jesus is great and the gospel is great. You see, we do not graduate from the gospel. The other reason we don't graduate from the gospel is we need the gospel preached to our souls. Often because we all fall short and make mistakes and go down our fleshly ways and then the gospel is there to be preached to us again. Imagine a dad trying his very best to buy his child the most amazing, priceless gift ever and he gives it to them and the child loves it and after a while the child is bored with it and says, I think it's time to move on to new things. Or a wife and husband gets married and there's that beautiful love relationship at the beginning and then the wife says after a time, I think I'm bored with this. I think it's time for me to go and discover something else. In the same way, let us not live like that when we think of Jesus and the gospel. It is not boring. Locked up inside of it is all the fullness. And I think the heart of Christ breaks when he sees his children receiving the fullness of the gift. And then after a while they say, this is nice, but I'm sure there's some other, other things to enjoy added onto this. Let it not be so with us. Paul is saying, church, love Jesus above everything. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let not the philosophies and mysteries of the world out there lure you away. In fact, in 1 Timothy 4, he says it like this, have nothing to do with irreverent, irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life, and also for the life to come. You know what holds promise for this life, fullness in this life, is godliness, is the gospel. It's following the ways of Jesus, and he says, "Have nothing to do with silly myths, mysteries outside of the gospel. Have nothing to do with it. Not." Yeah, go and investigate it and, you know, pick out the bones and throw away the stuff that you don't like. He says, guys, have nothing to do with this. There's an urgency in this message and we see it in all of his letters. And in fact, there was an urgency in Jesus' message when he spoke to his disciples and says, make sure that no one lead you away from the truth that I have brought you. So how do we know the false realities from the true reality? Well, it's simple. We've got the word of God. I call the word of God the great equalizer. You see, when Jesus and the gospel is rightly presented and we have the Bible, then other sides are equalized to nothing. They are on level ground and then we find the truth of scripture again. There's even a trade in church today where leaders say stuff doesn't have to be in the Bible for it to be taught or practiced. I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that. The Bible is the great equalizer. In fact, it says in 2 Timothy that all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. So the word as we have it today, the great equalizer, is used to teach us Jesus and the gospel. It is used to reprove, to reconfirm, to show again Jesus and the gospel. It is there to correct us when we follow other things back to Jesus and the gospel, and then it trains us in godliness and righteousness. So back to our passage. Paul says there are these false realities... And then he says, quickly, again, in this letter, let me preach the gospel to you. And he speaks about Jesus, who came in the fullness of deity, and he dwelled in bodily form... As a human, and then he says that he then took all of your transgressions and your sin and the record of death that stood against you and he nailed it to the cross. And then when you are baptized in Christ Jesus, you are awakened to a new life, a new reality. You are new in Christ Jesus. I love what Paul is doing. He's correcting the false realities with just simply preaching the gospel again. It's as simple as that, guys. All we have to do is go back to the central message of Jesus and the gospel. But now that he's preached the gospel again, he says, okay, now I'm going to double down and explain a little bit more in detail and very directly what are some of these false things that you believe. He says there's philosophy, there's empty deceit, elemental spirits, human tradition. And in a moment, we're going to look at some of the things he actually calls out, practices that these people followed. And In essence, when you read these things and the examples that follow, you can put it into two camps. There's the camp of legalism and there's the camp of Gnosticism. Legalism is your own works, your own efforts, your own attempts to save yourself or have yourself saved. And Gnosticism on this side is the idea of secret knowledge, other mysteries still to be discovered. And you see what happens with these, thank you, Rick, with Gnosticism and legalism is if we see through the lens and we look at the gospel and Jesus Christ through the lens of legalism, it throws a shade over the purity of the gospel. And in the same way, if we look through the lens of secret knowledge or Gnosticism, it throws a shade on the gospel. And sadly, some live in a combination of these two, that it's really hard to see Jesus and the gospel in the middle of it. I'll get back to these little signs in a moment. So Paul says, guys, there's this camp of legalism, your own efforts, and he calls it out, and we're going to look at that for a moment. And then there's this side of secret knowledge, the secret society, the secret source, the guys that know stuff that, ah, if you only knew what I knew, Hmm. so sorry that you are missing out. So legalism is on this side, and... And Paul mentions some things. He says there's asceticism. Guys, I had to YouTube pronounce video search this week to get this word right. It's not asceticism or something like that. Asceticism. (laughs) And basically what it means is to treat the body in a severe way that there's all this self-discipline in the body and there's no indulgence in anything joyful. It's people who went overtly in fasting and not enjoying anything pleasurable in this world. That's definitely not the way of Jesus. If you go and study the Gospels, he was a festive man filled with the enjoyment of food and festivity. And asceticism says, no, 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 no. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to be so perfectly holy and perched and set aside. You cannot enjoy anything good in this life like a good cup of coffee or some conversation or a meal or a birthday party. Legalism is also those traditions that's been passed on from one generation to the other. And so many of the Hebrew people were living here and they were dealing with these traditions of the Jewish people up until this point. To the fact that he also had to address circumcision. Where in the old covenant, circumcision was the sign that you are God's people. But he says, not so anymore. In Christ Jesus, there's a spiritual circumcision that takes place to prove that you belong to Christ Legalism opposes the fundamental truth in our gospel reality that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. That is the essence. And legalism comes in and it adds plus and minus, takes away from Jesus and the gospel. So some some Jesus and gospel plus realities we see in legalism is religious duties. I have to do this. I have to attend so many times. I have to pray like this. I have to do this. I've got to be in this group. I've got to do that thing to please God. It's by grace that we've been saved, not by our works. Jesus plus theology is is going through some traditional stuff. Practicing some Jewish things that we see in the old covenant and we try and bring that into our world and all of a sudden we are exercising some Jewish celebrations because we feel like if I do this, then I am better connected with Jesus. That's Jesus Plus theology, it's not the pure Jesus and the gospel as we ought to have it. Some others are being so correct. You know those know-it-alls that that, that they just correct in everything. Like, yeah, I know this, but I have studied this. And like the Pharisees who always had an answer ready to say something. And Jesus says, you know what, don't be a wise (laughs) know-it-all. Don't prove yourself and your, your faith in the gospel by being so incredibly correct. Prove it by falling back into the grace that I have saved you. Some legalism and Jesus plus theology is found in the prosperity gospel. You've seen it. You've heard it maybe. If you give $1,000 today, you're going to be successful this week in your work. That's legalism. That's works. You do something to get something. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. It is not our own works. And whether you get that work or whether you get that that The return on your investment is entirely up to his sovereignty. See, we can even say, if you give in this manner, then you're going to get in such and such a way. It becomes legalism. Now, the flip side of that is Jesus minus theology, making Jesus less than what he is. And here we find the hyper-grace movement that says that, yes, he died on the cross, and yes, you come to a place of repentance and turning away, but then it doesn't really matter what your life looks like beyond that. And if you make mistakes, and if you sin, and if you do wrong things, that's okay. Grace has come, and you are absolutely fine. See, that's diminishing the work of Jesus. That's the opposite of legalism. It's like, yeah, you have accepted Jesus. You don't have to do more to be like Him, but you also don't have to do the standard of 1 John 1 verse 9. It says, if you have sinned, confess your sins to one another time and time again, because the one who is faithful will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Hypergrace says, you know what, you do it once and then you're good and you just go. So right if you mess up a little bit and go down some sinful routes, it's not the way of Jesus and the gospel. It's not the way we ought to live. In fact, Hebrews 6 says that those who do that crucify once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him in contempt. I don't want to hold Jesus in contempt by saying Thank you for the work of salvation. I'm just going to live however I have because I am secure in this. You see how this comes and shades our view of Jesus in the gospel. And I want to take us back to the start for a moment. Search me, O oh Lord, and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you where some of these things have crept in and have blurred the purity of the message of what we hold on to. Then the other camp, the Gnosticism camp, the secret knowledge camp is on this side. And again, Paul speaks very directly about stuff. He speaks about angel worship, invoking angels, worshiping angels, making angels much more than what they should be. Nowhere in Scripture are we called to invoke angels Every time an angel appears in scripture, it is by the sending of God in his sovereign plan. For a sovereign purpose. For the revelation and the glory of him. Not for man. It speaks about visions. People have visions who are puffed up in their visions. And they follow these sensuous ideas around their beliefs. You see Gnosticism, again, so everywhere in our world today. It's Jesus plus Jesus and the gospel plus some additional spirituality. That there's more spirituality to discover than the full knowledge and wisdom as we were just seen, and the full mystery of God in Christ Jesus. That there's unique access to stuff. Again, it becomes works. If you do certain things, you'll have unique access to spiritual things. So you work to get those things. And then there's this mystery that you and others have and I've sadly been in conversations where people say, I know it's okay if you don't get it. Um, it's not for everyone to understand and it's all right if you don't. That's okay. And it makes me feel like nothing because there's a spiritual pride that comes with this. Like I've, I've found this, this message that is different. I've heard people say bizarre things like you, you go through certain movements to get to certain levels and in the heaven, to pray in certain ways, to see certain outcomes. You know what Jesus said? When you pray, simply say this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. You see the simplicity of what Jesus taught but Gnosticism comes and complicates it and adds a whole lot of funky stuff. If Jesus said, pray in simplicity, that's how I'm going to pray. I'm not going to let any funky stuff and weird things change the way that I pray. Jesus said, pray in simplicity. Don't use many words. Don't be like the Pharisees who stand on the corners and, and they just babble words. Be mindful when you pray. Be in the moment. And yes, when you pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit and pray with tongues and also pray with understanding. He says, balance these things. But Gnosticism says, there's some other things that you can go down into, which is not Jesus. It's Jesus and the gospel plus. We see it in things like the book called The Secret, which takes some verses out of the Bible and misconstrue it and puts it out of context And teaches the law of attraction, which is a complete new age philosophy. That if you think about yourself in a certain way and speak about yourself in a certain way, that you will become attractive. That you will be victorious. That you will have no problems in this world. That you will see the outcome in that meeting that you are hoping for. Sometimes we go into that meeting and the outcome is completely different. Sometimes we pray for someone's healing and the Lord says it's time for them to go home. Sometimes we believing for the breakthrough. But God says, wait another year, and another year, and another year. There's no secret. The mystery is Jesus. And and, and relating to him in our moments of suffering and doubts and questions, the secret became one of the best-selling books in human history because there was this idea that there's more to Jesus and the gospel, and there's not. In fact, Jesus says, anyone who wants to follow me, deny yourself. (laughs) Lay down your life and follow me not become the most attractive you deny yourself you guys see how these things have crept in and have taken us away from the purity and has cast the shade on Jesus speaks about angelic visions seeing angels communing with angels stuff that angels say, and then it becomes doctrine and stuff we do there's also Jesus minus theology here where some people believe that Jesus wasn't fully God in human form. We just read it. <laughs> Colossians 2. The fullness of deity dwelt in him bodily. So how can we even teach that or write that? don't know if you know this, but both Islam and Mormonism was birthed out of a Christian man having an angelic visit and supposedly getting a message from an angel without discerning it through the purity of the gospel and without discerning it through other men and women who understood the gospel and started two of the world's major religions. In Islam, it was the angel Gabriel or Jibril, as it was said in, in that language. Or in Mormonism, Joseph Smith had a vision of the angel Moroni who appeared and said, There's more than Jesus. Here's some revelations. Write it down and run with it. Paul said, you have nothing to do with these things. Don't be puffed up in these visions and start something that is other than Jesus and the gospel. And I want to say this this morning, that in every nation in West, we dethrone these things. Amen. Jesus and the gospel is what we keep as the mystery of God in this house. God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that verse says it so beautifully beautifully in verse 17, the reality, the substance is found in Christ. I want us to be a community that says Jesus and the gospel and the purity of it is right there. And and maybe you're hearing some of these things and, and there's a bit of an uncomfortability now because these things were taught to you. I've had to go through multiple moments where I realized there's been this camp when I was a kid or this, this, this ministry that I attended or this person bringing stuff to me that was appealing, that sounded correct, that made me think, well, that's got to be true without me investigating it against the lens and the purity of the gospel. This is an opportunity for us to go and investigate those things to go and check it, and then if it's wrong, that's the beauty of Holy Spirit conviction. He convicts us so that we can realign back to the way of the Father, which is Jesus Christ and the gospel message of good news. It's a good message to hear. It is a life-giving and liberating message to hear this morning so that we can go and search our hearts and see if there's anything that grieves God so that we can follow the way everlasting. How do we do this? Colossians 2 verse 19 We hold fast to the head. We hold fast to Jesus Christ. The metaphor here is a body only does what the head tells it to do. Body doesn't do what he sees other bodies do or other spiritual beings do or things out they do. He says, head, what do I do? And then the head sends the signal to the body to act. And that's how we've got to live in a day an age today where you can click two or three clicks away and find the most construed false teachings under the name of Jesus. And you've got to say, Jesus, whoa, wait a minute. Will you show me as the head over my life, as the head of this church, as the head of your body, where there's some of these things are false realities that I should not entertain and live by? So I'm going to end again for us this morning. I've said a lot been quite direct, but here's the beauty of it. The Word does what the Word does. It comes and it cuts and it brings division. And it, and it shows us the, the way of God again. And maybe this morning I've been saying some things and, and you've authentically prayed, Lord, search me. I'm feeling a little bit strange about some things now. Show me, is there something? And I believe that by the power of God's Holy Spirit, who teaches us all these things, that He would come and reveal to many hearts today some of the misalignment and some of the shade that's been cast over the gospel in our own walk. So we want to give you a minute. The camera will be on. There'll be some light music praying and I'm going to get out of screen but it's really an opportunity for you to pray once more. Lord, search me and see if there's any wicked way in me and take me back to the way everlasting. And as He does, I believe He will speak to you. He might remind you of a moment that something was taught to you and you took that as a truth over and above Jesus and the gospel. He might show you that you've been really trying hard to please and by your own efforts, attain and retain salvation. He might even show you that you've accepted Jesus, but you just bluntly live your life and there's a hyper-grace sense like, doesn't matter what I do, I'm saved, I'm just going to live my life. We don't hold Jesus in contempt by doing that. So I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to your people that you so dearly love. Lord it's because of your love that you bring conviction to us. Conviction is a gift and I pray as we consider for a moment our own ways and Lord maybe we've seen some things in in either sides of this story that has affected us and our belief of you. I pray for a washing Lord, a washing according to your word by the water of your spirit to come and cleanse us, to purify us, to set us right on track with you again Lord that we would not choose sides. When Jesus and the gospel is in the center of our lives, we don't have to choose sides because we've got you right in position where you ought to be. So I pray right now, Lord, that you would speak to your people, that they would hear your voice, the voice of their shepherd, gently leading them into the way everlasting. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Just take a moment, let him speak to you. Maybe you are with some people and the Lord is showing you some things. Today, there's an opportunity once we're done to say, hey, can you pray with me or maybe help me understand something I misunderstood? There's an opportunity for us to make sure that this, in this house, is held with purity. Let's wait on the Lord for a few moments.